We're going to review kind of how we ended up here. Our part one was called Strength in Numbers. And just a couple review points. We even went over these last week as well too. Number one, we do not live in a Christian culture. And we've got to be very crystal clear about this. Despite the fact that we do live in a country where our laws were founded as one nation under God. This is not a Christian culture. I think all of us, if we sort of get our eyes up and look around, we go, yeah, right, that's right. It's kind of obvious. Second thing that we understand is that Christian community is a place designed to help us gain strength together to thrive. Our culture points us towards selfishness, towards individualism, but Christian community runs opposite of that and gives us a place where we can thrive couple sub points we had about that one the church is there christian community which is synonymous with church godly wisdom and counsel to help us is available to us in the christian community that's how god has designed it god has created church as a place where we can have just a unique form of worshiping him we all love to get together and sing songs together and that's one form of worship but coming together and being obedient to god and loving the brotherhood of believers That in of itself is a unique form of worship. In the church we find spiritual growth. We find maturation. We find a refinement that blesses our lives. And then we also talked some about the the illustration of the rock tumbler. Something that's been very helpful to me. The idea that we're all just a bunch of stones. Figuratively speaking. And we jump into this thing called the church. And the church is like a rock tumbler. And those of you who don't know what rock tumblers are. They're the thing that grinds rocks around. And turns them into those nice polished rocks. That you can buy in like gift shops and other places. They're really cool. But you put the stones in there. And you put them in with grit. And you put them with water. And you close the thing up. And it runs around and around. The thing that grinds the rocks. Is the other rocks. And the grit. And we can see in that illustration, oh yeah, in the church, all of the people who are in the church, who are in the rock tumbler are the rocks. And the grit is the Holy Spirit, and it works together and refines us. And it blesses us. And we're going to talk more about that. Come back to that illustration a little later on today. Then last week, we, we moved on from the strength in numbers into the idea of sinking in roots. And the idea that, wow, to make it really work, we really have to get in. We've got to sink in our spiritual roots. And we saw that God designed us with a need for belonging. And we would define belonging not as the things we have, but as fitting into a specified place or environment. Fitting into a specified place or environment. And we realize that Christians will not find belonging as Christians in our current culture. But instead, we're going to find it in the church. And we saw that we will pursue, we will find belonging by sinking in spiritual roots. We can pursue that within the church, within the Christian community. Again, those things are synonymous. And we gave some sub-points again last week of what can we do. Well, we can show up. It seems basic, but it's something we have to do. We need to be in the habit and the routine of that. We need to sacrifice for others. We can find belonging by being a friend. We can turn from our individualism and our selfishness. And we can confront our own wounds, our sin, and our brokenness. And as a result of that, we talked about, hey, how do, I, how do we do this? Well, that's what Brad stood up here and, and talked for several minutes about our gospel groups. We can come on Sunday mornings, but then there's these times during the week where we have an opportunity to really be those stones that are hitting against each other in a smaller context. That's where we want to be aiming. So today, we move from that into the idea of meeting our needs. 
Meeting our needs. Now, let's go back again and review this. That concept of religion comes from the Latin term that means to bind. And so effectively, we can define religion as a system of beliefs and practices that I bind myself to so that I know who I am and what I should do. And so every single one of us has a religion. Every single person you run into every day has a religion. They have a system of beliefs and practices they bind themselves to to know who they are and what they should do. And as we think about binding ourselves, we go, man, but one of the great challenges I have in life is I have needs. Amen? But he has needs. Each one of us can think through in our list and say, I need this, I need this, I need this, and I have this need, an emotional need, and spiritual need, and these things. And a lot of times they're unmet, aren't they? Think about your needs and think about unmet needs you have. And so if we think about there's a system of beliefs that that help me along, we should understand that it logically follows that if God has designed Christian community for us and he said go to that, we would follow that God would understand we have needs and he would see that, hey, the church is a place where you can have those needs met. So as we sink in our spiritual roots, we grow attuned to the needs of those around us. And others grow attuned to our needs. And we're going to talk about this more this morning. But before we do that, I want to step back and clear up a misconception people often have about God. God has an infinite capacity to care for my needs. And I'd say, oh yeah, yeah, I get that. But I hear people say something different than this often. Matthew 10, 29-31, Jesus speaking, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. I read this verse and I go, man, what this is saying simply is that God knows all about me. And he cares. God knows all about me. I chuckle when I say that. In my family, for those of you who don't know me, I've got six children and we have this book, or I should say we had this book, because when you have six kids and you have a kid's book, at some point by the end it's just shredded and it goes in the recycling bin. We had this book and it was called God Knows All About Me. And so ever so often I think about it and my oldest son, he would, he would read it and he would say, God knows all about me. <laughs> And that's what I think, and I think of this verse, and I go, yeah, God does know all about me. He cares. Can you think of a more pointless project than if I said, I would like you to go map out your scalp, and I want you to come up with a number for every single hair that is on your head. And you would say, and what is the point of that? Right? What's the point? It's probably always changing. Some of us are losing hair. They're turning gray. Some people are gaining hair, I guess, maybe these little ones out here. So what? Who cares? It's all just hair. That's why we call it hair. We don't say my hairs, right? My hair. But God knows. God knows how many hairs are on your head. See, sometimes I'll hear people say something like, Oh, God has more important things to worry about than that. I go, well, we could talk about importance or not, but that doesn't define his capacity. It doesn't define his capacity to care. God is infinite. 
And so his capacity to care is infinite. It's not like my iPhone. I take pictures and it runs out of space. And I go, man, maybe I should have gotten the 32 gig instead of the 16 or whatever, right? God's iPhone capacity is infinite. And he can care, and he does care, about every single aspect of your life. If he cares and knows exactly, hey, there's hair number 4,235. He knows what your needs are. So if God has the capacity to care about things that are minute and seemingly insignificant, then he must also care about my needs, which are far greater than those things. So if we understand God has that infinite capacity, we also can recognize this, that God promises to meet all my needs. Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. How many needs? All of them. All. Is any excluded? Nope. None are excluded. God will meet all of my needs. Who meets them? God. God and God alone. Not my boss, not my employer, not my spouse, not my family. Just God. We need to grasp that. I think it's interesting, we've lost this in our culture, but God historically was referred to as providence. Why? Because of this, because God provides. He meets our needs. And so, how does he meet all our needs? According to this verse, it says... According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, I think it means this, very simply. Number one, it means God is the creator. And therefore, God owns everything. It's all his. He's got all of it. Furthermore, we said God is infinite. And because he's infinite, his supply to meet our needs is also infinite. It's inexhaustible. You guys ever hate that? And you go to a restaurant and you're like really excited to eat something and they go, we're sorry, we're out of turkey dinner or whatever it is that you wanted to eat. Turkey's on my mind. Thanksgiving's coming. Right? They hate that. But it's okay because God's like, hey, I never run out. I've got an infinite supply of turkey dinner or whatever it is that you need. He's got that supply. Come to him and say, God, I'm struggling here with this thing. He doesn't go, well, I'm all out. He's got enough to meet your needs. So if we put together those two things, God has an infinite capacity to care, and he has an inexhaustible supply to meet it, we should be all set, right? Just like, wow, he's super Santa. He's going to meet all my needs. Hey, God, you got everything and you know, so hook me up. Almost. God's interested in relationship with us. And because of that, God does ask for something from us. He says... Give up your concerns for your own needs. We went through this in our last series, in the Sermon on the Mount. John Meyer gave a fantastic message. I suggest you go listen to it if you missed it. He said, but Jesus said this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As John put it, I thought so, man, it it was amazing to me. It blew my mind. He said, we can be concerned with our own needs. God says, hey, you want to be concerned with your own needs? Fine, go ahead. Knock yourself out. You can take care of your needs. But he says, hey, how about be concerned with my needs? And if you're concerned with my needs, I'll take my inexhaustible supply and my infinite capacity and bring it to bear on your needs. That is radical. 
And so we want to do this as believers. We want to do this as a church. And we say, okay, so what are God's primary concerns? What does it mean to seek first his kingdom? Well, here's one example. I think there's many things, but here's one from Matthew 16. Jesus speaking to Peter. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I read that verse and I go, wow. Jesus is pretty intent there on, we're going to build a church and we're doing it so that the gates of hell don't prevail. It sounds like a big deal to me. Sounds like a big deal. It sounds like the church is probably one of God's primary concerns. So I would put it all together this way. I think God's call to us would be him saying, hey, seek first my kingdom in part through building into the community of my people the church, then I will bring to bear my infinite capacity to care along with my inexhaustible supply to meet your needs and care for you. That gives me great comfort, and yet I realize, man, there's something I have to do. He's not super Santa. He's super dad. So we can say, yeah, the church was designed by God as a means of meeting our needs. How? Well, let's go back to our little diagram, and I apologize for the simplicity of this graphic. There's my rock tumbler. <laughs> I looked on Google Images just for a better rock tumbler, but they just weren't quite doing what I was doing, so I made my own. So imagine on here, you see on the screen, the circle, and there's all these little rocks in there. And imagine it's rolling around and around, right? That's what the rock tumbler does. And we got the Holy Spirit in there working with us. And, and there's me. I don't, there's nothing special about that stone. It was just the one that fit the letters M-E on it. And so that's me. We'll just say, I'm, I'm the stone. So in the stone, what happens? As I sink my roots in, I begin to get attuned to what's going on with other people. And I go, hey, look, other people have needs. How can I meet them? You could put yourself in that stone and say, yeah, I see other people and I see needs and I'm going to go meet those needs. And sometimes those needs are for everybody or for a larger group. I go, oh, wow, that's cool. But see, this is what's great. We just go into this and say, what's my responsibility here? My responsibility is what are those needs? I'm going to know what those needs are and I'm going to meet them. But here's the cool thing that happens. People start to see what your needs are. And your unmet needs become met but there's a way this doesn't work and here's my other diagram and the way it doesn't work is when I'm out here and I'm outside that rock tumbler and I go why isn't that rock tumbler meeting my needs it's not working well because you're not in it I think another error sometimes we make is we say oh but I'm, I'm investing I'm serving I'm doing some stuff here but we're not really in the rock tumbler. We're going, it's not working. I go, right. Rocks don't get polished if they're not in the rock tumbler. I think of this situation in a couple illustrations. One is sometimes over the course of the years they had people and they show up and they go, I just want to serve. And they just kind of start doing stuff and they never get invested in people. They never get invested in relationships. They never join in with our, our small groups, our gospel groups with lives of people. And they go, I'm giving and giving and I'm not getting my needs met. It's like, well, it's like you're throwing stuff into the rock tumbler but not yourself. 
There's other people. Brad and I get a number of calls from, from people off the street, and they say, can you help me? Can you do this? Can you do that? I need money. I need help. I need rent. I need diapers. I need other things. And we want to help. And we even have built into our church budget a line item so that we can help financially. But on the other hand, if we responded to every single call and just said, yeah, sure, where can I make the checkout to, there wouldn't be much money left after about two weeks. And so what do we say? We have a very low bar. We say, why don't you show up on the Sunday morning? And if you show up, we'll meet you, we'll talk about it, and we'll see what we can do to help you. That weeds out at least 99% of the people who call and ask for something. Because those people are sort of in that first case where they're outside the rock tumbler and they're saying, could you just have the tumbler meet my needs? But that's not how God designed it to work. We're not trying to be meanies. We're just trying to follow along with the way God designed things to work. So how does that apply? Well, how does it work? How does this work? Well, I think there's a couple reasons of why this system works. First is this. If I'm in the rock tumbler, I can really help where it's really needed because I really know what the situation is. If I'm in and we're bouncing around in this thing and we're getting to know each other and I go, oh, I see what's going on with this person, I can really help them. I really understand what the need is. If I'm not in it, I don't really know, I can't really help. I can just kind of try and it doesn't really work. Another reason it works is almost all needs have some sort of physical and emotional and spiritual component to them. Now, this, I say almost all. I understand there's times where you go, ah, that's just this thing happened and I have this need, and maybe it doesn't have some components. But generally speaking, something's going on, you've got trouble or challenges in your life, there's components to these things. And if we're not together in the rock tumbler, we may miss. We may miss some of these other components. Maybe something's going on, you go, oh, it's just a physical need that needs to be met, but maybe the best thing I can do is meet you spiritually or meet you emotionally, and that might even be a better fit. If we aren't invested, our help is probably going to be one-dimensional, and it might not actually be very helpful. So let's look. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and I'm not going to read the whole chapters. That would take a long time. I'll hit some highlights here. But in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is talking to the church. He's talking to us. He's talking to the church. And he's talking about how people in the church are faced with a decision of giving to meet the needs of fellow believers. He's saying, hey, there's these believers. They have a need. You're faced with a choice of whether to give. Will we seek to meet needs as God has asked us to through the local church or not? So the first highlight here in chapter 8, verses 13 to 15 on the screen, I'll read it. Paul says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And so when I read this, one thought comes to my mind, and it's this. God supplies all to me so that I can give out of abundance. Have you ever thought of that? All that I have, all that God has provided, whether I think it's a little or a lot. Most of us probably think what we have is a little, but whatever that is, God has provided it to me so that I can give out of abundance. I think that's pretty cool. 
Go on to a second highlight in chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I love that passage, because it tells me this. It tells me that as I let go of that grip I have on my needs, I go, okay, I'm going to let this go. I'm going to let my needs go, God, and trust you, and I'm going to seek first your kingdom and try to hold on to those things. When I do that, it's a whole lot easier to give generously. And when I give generously, this passage tells me, man, when you give generously, God's grace is going to abound to you in all things, at all times, everything you need. I love it. Paul goes on, verses 10 and 11, he says, He, talking about God, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So I want to hold on to this. God will meet my needs. God will meet my needs both through others and even supernaturally he'll do that. He'll meet those needs as I am generously and sacrificially invested in others. To me that's just very exciting and we've got to be cautious, right? We don't want to give to get necessarily. Oh, I'm just giving so I can get from this, but I need to recognize that, hey, this is how God designed the system. He designed the system so that when I give and I focus on his needs, he'll meet my needs. And a lot of times he meets my needs through others. We want to seek first his kingdom. So, if you believe this is true and you hold to it, then you may ask this question, how can I be generously sacrificial in my Christian community, I sort of struggle with this. Should I say sacrificially generous or generously sacrificial? I went with generously sacrificial. I don't know if there's a difference. I'm glad you asked this question, though. I'm assuming you're asking this question. How can I do it? You're saying I should, to, to put Christ's needs first, I should be generously sacrificial. So how? How can I do that? Well, I think there's two ways. And here's the first one. You see it on the screen. Be generous with your time. Which really means be generous with your effort. doesn't mean just have your time and you sit there and go, okay, here's my hour, or whatever. With your effort. Galatians 5.13, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. So, I'm going to put up on the screen some things we can do. Meet a personal, tangible need. Right? So let's follow it back. You go back and you go, I need to get into the rock tumbler because that's what God says is going to happen to make me grow. And then I need to sink my roots in so I can get to know people. And now, okay, now that I know people, I'm going to be able to meet needs. So then in our church, what we want people most to do of anything, if you're going to serve in any way, this is where I want you to serve. Meeting personal, tangible needs. I think that's God's call to us. But of course, you've got to walk backwards to do that. I've got to be invested in people's lives. And to be invested in people's lives, I've got to say I'm going to get into this rock tumbler and do it. 
So here's some examples. Once you're invested, here's what you can do. You can make somebody a meal. I can tell you how many times someone has made me and my family a meal and it has been a blessing. And we try to do that also. That's just one example. Clean a house or care for a yard. As you get to know people, you can understand, oh, there are some tangible needs and maybe there's physical and emotional and spiritual things going on here, but man, I could really bless somebody by helping them out. It's another option. Babysit for free. Right? If you babysit for money, I don't know if you're really serving. It's fine to babysit for money, and that's great. And sometimes you do that. But man, how about do it for free? Say, I see young mom and young dad. You really could use a date night. I'd love to watch your kids for you if you're cool with that. It's an option. You can move belongings. In our church, we have moved a lot of belongings, right? <laughs> we moved a lot of belongings over the past 13 years. But that's what we do. If you are invested, you go, hey, someone's moving and I'm going to help. And so we sort of have a policy. You're part of our church. or Even if you're not, we'd love to serve you. And you go, man, I'm moving. I need some help. Just ask. We'll put together a group if we can and come over and help. And there's so many other opportunities. I could just go on and list them and list them and list them. Those are the four that came to my mind. But as you're invested in somebody, as you're in that circle and you go, man, I understand what's going on with these folks. Here's how I can really help them. I can really meet a personal tangible need. So that's one way to be generous with your time. Because all of those things take effort and time. And you're probably like, yeah, the last thing I want to do on a Friday night is have a couple of little kids running around here in my house or go to someone else's house. But man, I'm going to serve and be generous. Another way you can be generous is serve here on Sundays. It doesn't all just magically happen, does it? (laughs) We don't all show up and go, wow, everything's great here. There's ways to serve on Sundays. One would be, join that cafe tea. Man, I love the coffee. Everybody else love the coffee, the food, whatever. And it takes work. And there's a team of people, and they could always use more people to join into that rotation and help out. You could teach Sunday school. We've got some teachers back there with the kids right now. We'll take just about anybody. You've got to pass a background check. But you do that, and we'll put you in there. We'll get you some training. It's not real difficult, but man, it blesses parents. It can bless parents. You also could lead worship. You see these guys, Jeremy, up here, Pat, all the rest of the group. You could be part of that. And we have some steps to walk through to make sure you're ready to do that because we understand we don't put anybody up there, but there's some steps to walk through. We'd love to have you do that, but that is an opportunity. And we open our arms to you and say, hey, let's walk down that road. That's a chance for you to serve. You could also run sound or slides. Zach is very faithful in doing that, but I know he'd love to train some other people in that, so he's not always the one who's sitting back there. We also have, some people don't know this, we have a group of a few men who lock the building every Sunday. So it's not Brad and Greg up here like, okay, can you all just get out? We want to go home. <laughs> it's such a service and take out the trash and just a couple small things. And those guys, you guys, I appreciate you. You're here every couple months. The more people we had on that, the less frequent you'd have to do it. That'd be a way you could serve here on Sundays. And then there's also special projects. Even as a church, we have some. Or you might see other people in the church. You go, man, that person has a special project, and I'd like to help them. But here's some we have at the church. We have a mercy ministry. What is mercy ministry? It's doing a lot of things like taking meals to people or working with some special other ministries in the city who also need help and volunteers and trying to show mercy, thus the name. And when we do shoeboxes in the winter for Christmas... That's part of that ministry. Brad is in charge of that. It's something you're interested in. You could talk to Brad. 
and help with that. We have a, some of you don't know, there's a huge garage back here. It really could use to be cleaned out. And every day I walk through there and go, man, I could use to clean this out, and I don't. That would be a super awesome way to be generous with time and take that project on. Our building, we've been here over seven years. You might see some of the paint starting to peel. We could use some help with some painting if you wanted to do that. Our landscaping, we try to keep it up, but you know it kind of gets long in tooth sometimes and could use some love. be an opportunity for someone to take that project on. There's always deep cleaning things going on in this building. We don't like to have our babies crawling around on super dirty carpets. So it's always those kind of things that need to be cleaned up. So that's what you can do. Be generous with your time. I've given you some options. If you say, how can I be generously sacrificial in my community with my time and my effort? I just gave you a bunch of options. Right? Everybody could jump into those. And for those of you who are serving and are doing those things, thank you. Thank you. The second way I can be generously sacrificial in my Christian community is with money. Oh boy, here we go. We're going to talk about money. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 9.11 You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. How many ways? every way. You get enriched when you're generous. Does giving money fall into this? You will be enriched in giving money when you're generous that way? Yes. You will be enriched. So I thought today, we've gone through this a few times in years past. I was just going to run through these slides and say, hey, then talk about giving and getting and all that. We're going to talk about, hey, the Bible's got seven purposes for money. Seven purposes. God entrusts us with money. Again, it's all His. And whatever your bank account or your paycheck says, that's from God. Because it's His. So here's the seven purposes the scripture has for money. The first one, He says, return the first and the best to Him. A couple of verses here, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. Numbers 18.29 says, You must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything given to you. Look, it's all His anyway. It's all His. But He says, hey, there's a way to worship me that is unique in taking that first portion and that best portion and giving it back. Second purpose for money is to provide for ourselves and our family. You see 1 Timothy 5.8, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Providing for your family is one of the greatest ways you can sacrifice, isn't it? I can think of so many things I'd like to do with my money, but I go, man, i got to provide for my family. And it's a, it's a privilege to sacrifice that way. The third third use for money from the Bible is to meet the needs of fellow believers. Romans 12, 13, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 1 John three seventeen. if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, speaking of his Christian brother, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So see, this can be directly there in that rock tumbler. You giving directly to somebody, or you can give it into the church, and the church can distribute it as well. The church can steward that. A fourth way would be to bring others to Jesus Christ. Jesus in Luke 16.9 says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. 
See, if we're seeking first the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of God. We saw that, Matthew 6, 33. If we're doing that, it's going to follow that our mission is to reach the lost. And so it also should follow that money we have is put to that use as well. Fifth purpose, share it with our spiritual leaders. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Oh man, here's Greg asking for money for himself. I'm not. But look, reality is there's no admission, there's no price of admission to be part of this church. There are no tickets, there are no fees, there is no monthly membership like at a gym or anything. You can come and go as you want. And we love you. You want help? We'll help you. We'll meet with you. Whatever. But there's a cost. There's a cost to having spiritual leaders. There's a cost to that. So we have to keep that in mind. And I think that's why God says, hey, share it with your spiritual leaders. Sixth reason. Sixth purpose for money. Share it with the poor and needy. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And God will reward him for what he has done. We think about that, oh, the poor and needy, and sometimes we think they're kind of far away from us, but I think there are the poor and the needy right here in our midst, in our church. The last purpose is this one, lest you think it's all supposed to flow away. Buy whatever you like. This verse in Deuteronomy, you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. See, God could ask, really, if it's all his, right? He could ask for all of it. He'd say, give it all to me. But there seems to be this principle in Scripture where he says, no, there is space, there is room for you to find pleasure, to find enjoyment in spending what you earn by your own choice. So, seven purposes for the money God has entrusted to us. And so we say, okay, how can I be generously sacrificial in my Christian community? Well, I think what's cool, if you go through those seven things, at least five of them can be accomplished in the church. By giving money to the church, you can accomplish those purposes. We can do it together. Now, when you talk about, oh, giving is always like a common question of, well, how much is what I should give? How much? Are you asking for 10% or what are you doing? And look, as I read through it, I mean, Paul even says it there, give what's in your heart to give. I don't see, personally, when I read the New Testament, I do not see a standard that says, you should give 10%. What I do see is a principle that says, you should give sacrificially. You should give the first and first portion. And the reality is, as I think about it and I consider it, I go, man... Almost all of us, 10% is a sacrifice. There might be some people who are far down the scale, who do not have very much income, and you go, wow, 10% might be way more than sacrificial. It would still be sacrificial, but it would be super sacrificial. And there's other people who are way up at the other end and are making lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of money, and 10% isn't enough. It's not sacrificial. So I see that principle. I go, I'm going to remember two things. Number one, everything I have is God's. It's all His. It all belongs to Him. And the second thing is that God is looking for a sacrificial giving. So each one of us has to say, what is a sacrifice to me? How can I honor and obey God and give sacrificially? 
So let's take this back to our rock tumbler illustration. What is going to happen when I'm generously sacrificial? What is going to happen in that community? Well, the first thing that's going to happen, and you see this right here, is that other people, other brothers and sisters, the brotherhood around us, those people are going to be blessed because I'm going to come in, I'm going to say, man, I'm going to be sacrificial with my money, I'm going to be sacrificial with my time, I'm going to look to meet needs, and look, other people are blessed and touched. Another thing that happens is that rock tumbler becomes a better place, doesn't it? The more people are invested in the rock tumbler, the better of a place it becomes. Another thing that happens is my needs get met, don't they? We trust in God. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And so I walk into that and I say, okay, you're asking me to meet these needs and I'm trusting that you're going to meet it. And I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in so many of your lives time and time again. God will meet your needs through other people. And frankly, there's an opportunity to obey God in this in a unique way right here in the local church that isn't available anywhere else. I can demonstrate personal, sacrificial investment in others in ways I can't elsewhere. So, as I've promised with this series, we're going to get to an action point every week. And so today's action point is this. Participate in meeting the needs of others by being generously sacrificial. So here at our church, the Firehouse Church, you can serve others with your time and your effort. There's so many ways. I put all those on the, up on the screen there. If you're interested in any of those, you're welcome to talk to me or talk to Brad, and we'll, we'll get you going with any of those. You can also give sacrificially from your financial resources. As Brad mentioned earlier, we are so thankful and blessed for each one of you who does it. So thankful. And you can continue to do that. For those of you who are doing it, man, we encourage you to continue to do that. Those who haven't started doing that, we'd love to talk with you more, even personally, and we can help walk you into that. And I think there's a lot more that I could even say this morning that we'll save for another time. And so in the process of doing this, I truly believe your needs will be met. Remember Philippians 4.19 here as I close. Paul said, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. And we go, ah, it's great. I want to hold to that. But if we understand the context of that verse, what he's saying before that is actually this. As you are generous, as you are generously sacrificial in the brotherhood of believers God has placed you in, then... My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory, Christ Jesus. So in some way we can look at this and say, God will meet your needs as a response as you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. God meeting our needs goes hand in hand with our own generosity. And so I'm going to close today and pray, and let's pray that God would help each one of us be sacrificial, be generous, be invested in our church. Yeah, God, we come before you this morning again, and we ask for your help in this. Lord, again, our culture is headed the other way. Our culture is telling us, no, it's your money. Use it your way that you want to on your things. 
Take what you can get. And yet, God, I think we see really clearly in Scripture our time and our effort and stuff is you're calling us to put it towards the kingdom first. God, we understand there's nuances and situations and exceptions and things that go on and we get that. But God, we want to hold to this as a principle and say, man, Lord, we want to live this way. We want to live in a generous, sacrificial way. We want to obey you in that. We want to worship you in that. Lord, help us in that. God, we find ourselves swimming in this cultural soup that makes it really, really difficult. Really difficult. And the demands upon us are so great. And so many of us have so many unmet needs. We go, ah, I don't even know how I can do this. Oh, but God, I declare to you today, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to walk in this. Lord, help each one of us take steps of faith in this path of looking to meet needs in our local Christian community. God, please help us in that. Give us wisdom. Give us grace. Give us purpose. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.